Welcome to the Potter's House Community Church's podcast. Join us weekly as we feature our Sunday sermons. The Potter's House Community Church exists to help people be shaped by God to be followers of Jesus Christ. We hope today's message encourages you as we dive into God's Word. So grab your favorite drink and let's listen to today's sermon. So show me your mysteries, my God. So I thought the first step to fill up some time would be to read the whole passage. I actually looked at, okay, so I'm a teacher, and uh, you know, when you're sick, one of the teacher go-tos is find a video, right? So if your kids are, come home and there was a sub and there's a video, that's, and so I actually looked for some Genesis 3 videos. The short, like, they're all over an hour. Like, there were like an hour and 40 minutes. I'm going, okay, buckle up. I'm going, how can I condense all that down into like 20, 25 minutes? But, uh, so I'm going to start with, with reading it. And, uh, and then I'll jump into hitting on just some of the main points. I'm hoping I have the same version as you. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the tree, or the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die. For God knows that when you eat it, eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman you gave me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it. <laughs> then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? And the woman said, that serpent deceived me and I ate it. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and above, above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. 
Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken. For you are dust and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So I found a little picture of a Garden of Eden. It's pretty nice. It's probably nicer than anything that we can imagine. This, this story is maybe the second most important story in the Bible. This story gives an account of a moment in history that changed everything. It changed man's relationship with God. It changed man's relationship with each other. Sin was brought into the world. It changed the environment for weeds and thorns and thistles. It brought death into the world. It, uh, it kind of upset everything. It all goes back to this event. I think the most important event is when the promise is fulfilled, the promise that's found in verse 15, where Jesus is sent to fix it all. And we'll get to that. This is a true story. It's referred to throughout the New Testament. Uh, Luke actually traces Jesus' gene genealogy all the way back to Adam. It's like when you read that part where Luke's going, and he begat him, and he begat him, and he begat him, and he, all the begats. It takes Jesus' lineage all the way back to Adam. And uh, Jude also refers to Enoch as being like the seventh generation after Adam. And so it kind of gives this picture of, it wasn't just a story that they told. This was a, a person. This was a true event. I find it kind of interesting because they were in a perfect place. If we can go to the next slide. It wasn't some kind of dystopian, chaotic place where dinosaurs are chasing you and you had to like scrounge and, and you know, how am I going to survive the next day? God had given them everything they needed in the Garden of Eden. There was all the food, there was all the water. Obviously, the, the climate was great because you could be naked the whole time, right? I'm not going to go there. But it was this amazing, perfect environment to live in. So there wasn't a need. It wasn't like, oh, there's this one tree with amazing fruit on it. That's the only fruit tree. 
how am I going to get to it? Right? There was a whole area of, of that. Oh, I almost went down a rabbit trail. Of the first, okay, the first time I was in the Okanagan, we visited Karen and I'm an Alberta boy, prairie boy. Like, to actually see fruit on trees was amazing. It wasn't crab apples. And so we said, is it okay if we like raid your orchard in the middle of the night? Because that's something like I learned when I was a little kid reading books, I raid orchards. And so we had permission. And so we went in the middle of the dark and we didn't want to have the lights on. And so we're reaching up and grabbing apples and grabbing pears. And none of them were ripe. It was because it was June. <laughs> but sorry about that. But God gave them this world that they didn't have to do that. They didn't have to seek out. It was just they could walk along, grab, you know, grab something and keep going. Then along comes the serpent. And we kind of have this picture of the serpent being a snake. And I think that's a slightly kind of misrepresentation because not, you know, I don't know too many talking snakes. Um, the Hebrew word nahash means the shining one. And that's the Hebrew word that they use for serpent. And that same Hebrew word is found again in Revelation chapter 12. It says, And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. And so that references to, to Satan in whatever um, form he took on so that he was able to actually begin a conversation with, with Eve. And the serpent said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? He was twisting the words of God. And he did the same thing at Jesus' temptation when Jesus was taken into the desert before he started his ministry. He was like, doesn't it say if like, you're, you're, the, you're the son of God? Like, why should you be hungry? Just turn these stones into bread. Throw yourself off of the temple because God says he won't, you won't dash your foot on the ground. Satan was twisting the word of God in order to kind of deceive and trick and take people in a different direction. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. So Satan had said, did God actually say? He was getting her to question the word of God. He was getting her to double think, what was that that God really said? And how often does that happen in our lives? Right? Where God speaks to us through his word. He lays it right out there. And yet Satan says, well, he doesn't really mean it that way. And our society says, well, he doesn't really mean it that way. Apparently, there's like a, a urban dictionary. Thanks, Ben. That's the word I wanted. And it's actually redefined a bunch of things that, like it talks about, instead of seal, stealing, it calls it something like um, acquiring a need. Right? Instead of uh, promiscuity or adultery, it's being sexually active. 
uh, what was another one? Like even, even a lie is like a white lie. You know, it's, it's and, and so Satan in our society has done all, has, has infiltrated our thinking to where when we read stuff that the Lord has laid out in the word, we start to second guess it. And we go, well, he doesn't, he's not really that harsh. It's not really a commandment. It's not, and we kind of start to bring things in. And, and so Satan starts this with, with Eve. And he says, did God really say that? He starts to twist God's word and soften the impact of God's word. And, he, and the, woman, or the serpent said, surely you won't die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan is saying, eat it and you'll be like God. The only reason God doesn't want you to eat it is because God doesn't want you to be like him. And one commentary, I only got to a couple commentaries. One commentary says, Satan had been thrown out of heaven. Right? He was, he was a musician. He was worshiping God. But he got to a place where he wanted worship himself. He wanted to be at the same as God. And so he's got, there's, this person said, he senses there's a little bit of bitterness that Satan's bringing into this. Like, God doesn't want anybody to be like him. Right? I can't be like him. Well, he doesn't want you to be like him either. And so he's kind of using that. I don't know. Take that for what it's worth. But uh, his, his, Satan's desire is to corrupt what God has created. It's to take the beautiful companions, Adam and Eve, and to, to corrupt them. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was desired to make one wise, she ate it. Uh, sorry, my notes are incomplete. First John 12 talks about the roots of sin. First John 12, or 2.16, sorry. First John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away with, along with the desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So way back many years ago when I was in Bible school, this is actually one of the things I remember from New Testament survey, was that there's three roots of, three roots of sin. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So when you look at the verse, it says... She saw that the tree was good for food. The good for food. It would fulfill her physical need. That was the lust of her flesh. She saw it was a delight to the eyes. A lust of the eyes. And the tree was desired to make one wise. And that's a pride thing. So those are the three roots. And when you look at sin, when I look at the sin in my own life, when we look at our society... Those are still the continue to be the three main roots. Right? The lust of the flesh. The things that go, I want this for me. I want this for my comfort. You know, I know I shouldn't eat that big thing of fries, but like, I want it. Right? We, we, I don't, I don't, I know I don't need that car, but oh, it would be so nice to drive around in. 
It'd be so comfortable. And so we have these lusts of our, of our flesh. We have the lust of the eyes, right? She saw that it was a delight to the eyes. You know, we see things that are attractive, whether it's somebody from the opposite sex. Our whole marketing department and design in everything is to create an appeal to our eyes. Like, okay, I've got two Apple devices, or maybe another one in my pocket. One of his uh, design principles was he wanted so it looked so good it would be lickable. <laughs> that was the term, right? So like, you look at this and you go, oh, that's nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they didn't build any taste things into it, but so, you know, the things you catch your eye, right? A, a beautiful car goes down the road. A beautiful, like, a beautiful house. There's all these things are, are draw us in those ways. The pride of life, God hates pride. He hates pride. Uh, and I actually was thinking, maybe that's why God wanted me to preach this week. Like, I have next week's sermon already. I just have to practice it. And... And I'm going, oh, I did a really good job on that one, right? (laughs) And I think God takes us to a place where this isn't me. Like, I'm just doing what I can this morning. It's all in God's hands. And uh, we let pride creep into our hearts and our minds. Because especially, okay, I, I work out at a gym. The number of people that are in there actually with phones and flexing, and their friends are with them. Well, actually, okay, I have a confession, because Warren's laughing at me. I had this goal for my 50th birthday that I could bench press, like, 360 pounds, and so I actually had him take a picture of me doing that. So, okay, I'm guilty. But we have, we, <laughs> we have, we have these things of pride. Now, these are the roots, Okay? To be proud of an accomplishment isn't a sin, but it's where that takes you, right? Seeing a beautiful car drive by or a beautiful woman walk by isn't a sin unless your mind or your heart is taken to another place, right? And so being aware of those things just helps us to, to be aware. Uh, Eve was deceived, She took the fruit and ate and gave some to her husband who was with her and and he ate it. She gave in to temptation, right? Like I kind of think of Adam and Eve as being pretty naive. And and here Satan's using all these little angles. It's kind of like the first time a scammer sends you something, right? Like I think I have uh, 18 relatives in Nigeria that I've, you know, got stuff, sent stuff to. I don't know. Anyway, but... The first time a scammer comes along, you have that, you're much more susceptible. And, and Eve was swayed and tempted and she felt for that. Adam was, it says Adam was right there. And you're going, okay, why doesn't Adam say something? Like he's just, like, Adam, phew, what? Like, get it together, buddy. And he was a watcher. And then she said, here. And so he takes it. He made a choice. He wasn't there being deceived. He said, hey, this looks pretty good. She's still walking, you know. And he takes a bite. And 
and that's it, right? And throughout scripture, it doesn't say the sin that Eve brought into the world. It says the sin that Adam brought into the world. God held Adam to a different level of accountability because Adam made that choice to, to step into that. Romans 5.12 refers to this saying, through one man sin entered the world and death through sin. Verse 7 says, then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So the fact that they realized they were naked showed that something significant had happened. Just the other day, Nikki, who's an early childhood specialist, she's talking about toddlers. Like a toddler will tear around the house naked, right? You people who've had toddlers. But at some point, they kind of gain this realization that, you know, I'm naked. And maybe I should wear something a little bit more than, than what I'm wearing. Now, for Adam and Eve, that happened really quickly, right? It was like, bang, all of a sudden they went, whoa. And so they could already, they'd already received an understanding. So they tried to hide their shame. They, they felt ashamed. They heard, it says, they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Sorry, this is my shame. Okay, I'm on a shame slide, but anyway. Um, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. They were ashamed. I was trying to think of a story for this because everybody likes stories. And one was like, my sister was the world's best Christmas present finder. Like my parents would find Christmas, get their Christmas they'd be ingenious where they would hide stuff. They'd even hid it at the neighbor's one year and my sister found it, right? And so after about four or five years of this, my parents actually sat us down and they said, we got your presents, do not look for them. Okay, well, sure enough, the next day, my sister's like, come on, let's go look. And I'm like, no, we, mom and dad said we're not supposed to. And she's like, no, we gotta find them. They're gonna be really good. She's like, I didn't, and like, so, you know, I guess I was deceived, or, <laughs> it was the woman. <laughs> and so, of course, we found them, and I felt so guilty. I felt so guilty, like, I didn't want to come down for supper, because I, you know, I, not only I disobeyed, but I found, and like, how am I ever going to keep it a secret that I found this? And so... Adam and Eve are in that same place. They're hiding because they're ashamed. But the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? And he said, I, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. All of a sudden, he's modest about God. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, that woman you gave me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it. And the Lord said to the woman, what is, it that, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. And right away they go to the, the blame game. And Adam, instead of taking ownership for what he blames Eve and indirectly blames God. 
He says, this woman that you gave me, like if you hadn't given me a defective model, right? It, this wouldn't have happened. And then Eve goes, that serpent, the serpent did it. And we know kind of the rest of that. It's really interesting that neither of them repented. Neither of them said, you know what? I was, de- I was deceived, I screwed up. I saw that and I thought, this is good. I'm, I for, you know, I'm sorry, I messed up. N- neither of them did that. They just kept playing the blame game. They pointed their finger everywhere else. And sometimes you wonder, like God leaves these gaps in the Bible for us to, I think, to wonder, right? What would have happened if they actually would have fallen on their faces and said, we're so sorry, right? Where would that have changed or what would that have changed? Um, I'm going to jump ahead to verse 15 because I'm too long-winded. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. God had a plan from before he created the world. He knew that if he was giving us some free will, that eventually we were going to mess up and we're going to need another way. And this passage, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, I'll, I'll put you at war. The word enmity is kind of like war. I'm going to put Satan and his dominion at war with women and her offspring, with mankind. Between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Uh, I wish I had time. Okay, maybe on the church website or something. One of the videos I started watching to research this was by a guy named Skip Herzig. H-E-R-Z-I-G. And he has a whole hour sermon just on this passage. And he goes into the whole thing of the war between Satan and the war between us. And he says, in a war, you need to know who your enemy is. Right? And if if your enemy has already convinced you that he doesn't exist, he's already won, right? So he, he, it's just, he lays it out beautifully, and I can't do it even in one minute. Well, I might try. But he lays it out how we need to understand the way that the devil works and attacks us and undermines us and tries to get in and do things. The whole thing of war between Satan and, and mankind, he sees there's a promise. And, and I'm going to come to this next week in looking at Cain and Abel, because it's kind of a cool tie-in, and that's why I couldn't do it this week. I have to do it. And Satan knew that through the bloodline from Adam would come a Savior who was going to crush his head. And so when you look... Skip does this amazing job of laying out the history of the Jewish people and all the times that Satan tried to kill or annihilate someone in Jesus' bloodline. 
So when you look at that genealogy from Jesus all the way back to Adam, okay, so you have uh, Isaac, right? Abraham, Isaac. Isaac was, was to be killed on the altar, and God intercedes, right? You have, oh, I'm trying to remember. It was kind of getting foggy. Um, but even Jesus, he tries to take the crowd, growl, growl, gather on Jesus and throw him off a cliff, right? And Jesus is able to just walk through. There's in, uh, I think, is it in Esther? Where they make a decision, they're going to wipe out every Jewish person on the face of the earth. They're going to kill them all. And, the, and that's the plan and that's the edict. And then God interce- intervenes. And, and so over and over, it's really amazing listening to it. I wish I could have just played it for you. But Satan keeps trying to break that chain because he knows that God has the plan through his son Jesus Christ to pay that final penalty. Okay. I'm going to skip the part about multiplying pain in childbirth and about working the land and fighting with thistles. I'm going to skip that part. Um, and, and the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. And there's different interpretations on this. But essentially there, there's the train of thought that blood was shed. Blood was shed to hide their shame. Right? It wasn't God said, you screwed up, go make yourself some clothes out of something more proper than leaves. But it says God provided the clothes for them from the skins of the animals. And the shedding of blood was a foreshadowing. It's a foreshadowing of the practices of offerings and sacrifices. The, it was a foreshadowing of like the Passover when they painted the blood on the threshold of the, of the door before they escaped Egypt, it was a foreshadowing of the, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And we'll get into a little bit more of that again next week. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has come be- become like one of us and knowing good from evil, lest he reach out his hand and also take the tree of life and eat it forever. Uh, and God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. I often thought, wouldn't that be cool? Like, I, I watch these kind of expedition hunters and archaeology shows, and I go, wouldn't it be cool? Like, they're hacking through, and all of a sudden they come to... There's this flame and sword and cherubim standing there. And then I went, because, and for a while I was like, why isn't that there? Why can't we find it? And then I went, oh yeah, the flood happened. And so there was, the Garden of Eden was wiped out and there wasn't the need for that. But it wasn't just a sword. It wasn't just a cherubim like with threatening with a sword. It was like a fiery sword, right? Like in a, you think of a fiery sword like, burning it up. It's disintegrating it. So it was like this extra level of fear and intimidation and protection and all of those things.
So just to wrap things up, um, from Romans, through one man, sin entered the world. And it was in that event of Adam breaking trust with God, Adam disobeying God, Adam choosing his own way, Adam giving in to the sin of the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, that it was wrecked. It was wrecked. And it's only a few chapters later that the whole society is so wrecked that God says, we have to just wipe this out and hit the reset button. And we still pay the consequences for those sins. We still see that in our society. We see that in our own hearts and minds, in our own lives. But we know, we know, we know the, the answer. We know God's plan. We know the end. We know the, the win. We know that God sent Jesus, his son, to pay that ultimate price, to restore us with the Father, to reconcile us to the, to the Father. That in that love, Jesus could have stayed up there and said, we'll hit the reset button again. And keep doing that until we get a group of people who are actually going to obey us. But he stepped in to our lives. And he doesn't force his way. He offers us victory and freedom and forgiveness. And when he's hanging on the cross. And he's beaten and bruised and bloody. And he knows that his time is short. The first thing he says on the cross is. Father forgive them. says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And we think we know what we're doing. We think we're all that. We think we can solve our problems for the messes that we get ourselves in. But we can't. We can try. But we can't. And God offers it freely to us. All we have to do is say, Jesus... Forgive me. I don't want to be like Adam who just blames somebody else. Take my heart, take my life, take my mind, transform me into somebody worthy of, of you. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father God, we, we thank you so much. That even before the world was created, before everything was in place, before you breathed life into man, you already had a plan. You already knew our weaknesses and our, our fallibilities, and yet you still love us. Forgive us for the arrogance and the pride of thinking that we can just do life on our own. We just want to come before you and, and, and offer our hearts and our minds and our lives to you. 
and let you do your work in our hearts. We thank you for your word. And Father, just for the way that you reveal yourself in your heart through that. We just pray this all in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Feel free to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and share with others. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit our website at www.potterschurch.ca or you can connect with us also on social media. Tune in next week for a brand new episode of our weekly sermon series. We hope that you have such an amazing rest of your day. Don't you feel yourself.